All right, good evening, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of What's Your Issue? Episode number three. This is the People's Weekly Comic Book Reviews Podcast here on the E2KG Network. I am one of your co-hosts, Mr. Agastocles Stamus from GearWorks.com, the E2KG Network podcast channel on YouTube, and the Rounding Off Infinity Gaming channel on YouTube, here with my partner in crime, Mr. Stephen Laura. How you doing tonight, Stephen? I'm doing good. Good, good, good. So we are starting off late once again due to my fault. So we're just going to go ahead and get right into the nitty gritty. If you didn't know and you haven't watched the episode before, we are a spoilery reviews podcast show covering the comics that would have shipped uh, last week, the 17th of October. So if you haven't read the issues that we're going to talk about, please step away lower your podcasting viewport or whatever, and go read your issues and then come back. It's Monday night. We're hoping that you've read them already. We're hoping that you're pulling this down uh, Tuesday morning, um, unless you're actually tuned in and listening to the live show. So, Stephen, you're going to start us off this week and talk us us about Luke Cage number three. Okay. This is a Marvel Digital original um, series, and this is the final one out of... Out of the series. <clears throat> so, yeah, um, it's about uh, Luke Cage. He uh, discovers this villain that um, <clears throat> called Everyman. It's a, it's a female villain, but she uses the name Everyman. Uh, she's, she's basically like a Robin Hood, like stealing from the rich to help the poor for health insurance. And while she's doing that, she's killing the rich. So Luke Cage is trying to stop stop it from happening. And she does hire Mega Red to attack Luke Cage. And Luke Cage tries to save um, Iron Fist because the previous issue, she she captured Iron Fist and started using him. And um, Luke Cage um, finds out that the 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 villain was Every Man was she was. Um, spreading diseases from the people that were dying the poor like the poor people that were dying he was she was spreading diseases and passing on to the rich to get killed off and luke cage had to stop her from doing that and that was it so um i thought this was a very well done issue i would give it a a 7.5 out of 10 it's it was a pretty interesting storyline i did like luke cage um, interacting with his daughter, and he did have he. Every man did give him was some sort of disease, and he had like CTE, which is like some type of memory disease. <clears throat> and he was forgetting his daughter's name and forgetting Jessica Jones and other parts of his past, and he was getting them back, like it was going back and forth, and I thought that was pretty interesting to see that happening. And <clears throat> I think every man had a pretty interesting backstory on how she got her powers. And I think she was a mutant. I don't, they never really explain how exactly she got her powers, but she got them when she was a young child and her father was a doctor and she found out that she can transfer diseases to one person to another. And she also knows that she can cure disease. But it takes more power of herself to to order to do that. And it doesn't always work. So it's a pretty interesting villain. And maybe I hope they do use more of her in the future. But so now, so now who, who is the talent on this issue? Oh, I, should, I forgot to mention that. It was... Um, the writer was Anthony Del Cole, and the artist was J. Holling Lindsay. So this is an entirely different uh, uh, creative team than the ones that were on the the regular. Yeah, they relaunched the series. Okay, it was a mini series actually, and it only ran at three issues, huh? Yeah, it's it's supposed to be six issues, but in the in the digital originals they they put the two issues into one, so sure. it's like three. Is three issues for digitally, but in print is gonna be six issues. I got you. I got you. Yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about. So any any more on that one? Which one? 
on any any more stuff you want to talk about on Luke Cage? No, that's about it. Okay, so let's uh, let's go ahead and talk uh, Aquaman number forty one. So uh, I'll let you take the lead on this. So this is one of your your comments, but I also read it, so uh, I have right. input on it as well. All right, I'll put input on it. What is it? Um, Aquaman from number forty one. <clears throat> it was is the writer was Dan Abinet and. The artist was Land Medina, and uh, this this issue was is the Drowned Earth tie-in. It was about um, it takes place after Justice League number ten, and uh, this this um issue had to deal with um, Mira finding out what's been going on with the with Planet Earth because she noticed that um. The people that were like in the ocean, or like her, the Lanteans were turning into monsters, and she was trying to talk. She was talking with Batman to get things prepared and figure out what to do because everyone is anyone who touches the ocean turns into a, a sea monster, and they're trying to figure out what to do. And they're they lost communication with the excuse me with the Justice League, and. Mira tries her best to uh to uh stop all the monsters that's going all the Atlanteans turning into monsters, but she ends up being the last remaining um Atlantean to not turn into a monster and she goes to um, meet up with Batman to see what can happen. I mean so see what she can do. And that's how the issue ends. So I thought this was a pretty interesting story. I I would give it an eight out of ten. I really enjoyed how <clears throat> Mira does her the best of her ability to to try to save the Lanteans and she she does her best as a good she does really she is she is a good job as being a queen, even though she doesn't think she is, but I honestly think she does a good job of it. And she did have some interesting interactions with Batman. And I liked how they worked together to try to solve this problem, even though they didn't really solve the issue. That's about it. <clears throat> yeah. So, what did you think of the costuming in here? I uh, I really like. I noticed that uh, that uh, that uh, Leia Medina, the artist, uh, puts her. Uh, well, and actually, maybe it's uh, Gabe Altiab. Uh, so, yeah. Interestingly enough, um, I am not familiar with Medina's work, but I'm very very familiar with uh, Vincente Sifuentes, who was on Inks. And Gabe Altiab, who was on colors, so two like top-notch guys uh, on colors. Uh, I thought it was very interesting that they put her in a two-tone costume uh, for this issue. So the the inset, the in the inlet of her. Uh... Yeah, she's there's a new. She's been wearing this new costume for a while. I mean, okay. Since the the rebirth of Aquaman, she's been wearing it. Okay, but I so, do like it. Okay, so, go ahead. Uh, and, and same thing, I also rated this issue an 8.0. Uh, I was a little not fully on board with some of the dialogue, like Batman. So, 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 so we're going to talk about Batman number 57 in, in a minute here. Uh, so first of all, it's a great week for Batman lines. Like between Justice League, Aquaman, and Batman, we got a lot of Bruce Wayne, and we got a lot of very um, iconic Bruce Wayne. There's a couple points in here where he says some things like he... Like when he, like when he's told that uh, that Mira is holding back the waters of the Atlantic uh, by sheer force of will with her aquakinetic powers, you know, Batman, Batman goes like, "Good God!" And I'm just like, I don't like Batman's not easily amazed by anything, so uh, that I, that just felt kind of a little off-brand. But uh, I think then, he was amazed by Mira's um, how powerful she is and. And she is she is one of like the most powerful DC characters, but no one not that well known for her to be the that powerful. Right, right. It's amazing how how powerful she can withstand the ocean, I guess. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I mean, I I could grant that. I I still felt it just felt like not very Bruce Wayne ish, but but then he does have a great line in here where Mira's like, "I made a promise to a little boy," and Batman's like, "You made a promise to me." <laughs> right? <laughs> that was kind of jerkish, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but it's it it like what I love about the lines that we hear from Bruce Wayne this week is they are very much 
Bruce Wayne in his own skin, right? They are very much, yeah. I'm Batman, and I know where I fit in. And like, when you make a promise to me, Superman and Wonder Woman, that's a big deal. Um, so I just I love that line uh, in in this. Uh, again, uh, the, the art was pr pretty good. It wasn't the best. Like, there's some really good art. DC killed it on art this week between Travis Moore over on Nightwing, uh, Tony S. Daniel on Batman, and then freaking Francis Manipal on Justice League number ten. It was a pretty incredible week. For, so so this. The artwork in this is art that any other week might have been tops. Um, and I don't want to take anything away from it, but uh, it it was good artwork. Uh, it just didn't kind of floor me. Again, but that's because I was looking at it in comparison um, to some of the artwork. And then as the issue closes out, uh, we have Mira uh, finally seek out uh, Ocean Master, who they have imprisoned. In oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about the Ocean Master. Yeah, so yeah. I thought that was pretty pretty cool. It's been some time since we've seen uh, that character, so it was nice to kind of wrap things up. Uh, so you and I scored that both an eight point up. So that's uh, interesting that we came in in sync. And yeah, uh, I'm going to go ahead and move on to start talking about uh, Batman number fifty seven. Uh, so this was the third book that I read out of my stack uh, this week. Um, so Batman number fifty seven, subtitled "Beast of Burden: Conclusion," which that caught me off guard. Uh, obviously published by DC Comics. Writer, uh, story by Tom King, art by Tony S. Daniel, one of my favorites. Uh, this issue had uh, these weird kind of little um, uh, bedtime story inserts in it, pages, um, depicting like an actual book that was being read to a child. Uh, that throws you for a loop a little bit as well, so we'll talk about that in a second. But th that art was by Mark Buckingham and Andrew Papoy. Uh, colors by Tommy More, who I think was also doing Colors has been doing colors on Justice League here and there, I think, uh, and then letters by Clayton Cowles. Uh, so the situation here, so we pick up from the last page of issue number 56 where Batman has tracked down KG Beast to his cabin in Siberia or some other such uh, northern or far western reaches of uh, Russia uh, to his cabin um, with the Beast having just murdered his own father, who was the last family member that the KG Beast had not killed. Uh, and then a Batman KGB fight breaks out. And that's kind of the entire setup for this issue, which is really native um, and and very uh, and very in the wild and very uh, naturalistic um, in, in terms of just uh, tearing down these two characters to their very basic parts. Uh, on, on art, uh, Tony Daniel is doing really great stuff in this issue. I actually think this this issue is a little bit better than his last, which was which was his first issue back. Uh, on Batman after uh, being away for a while. Uh, last issue, it felt like he was experimenting a little, and maybe it was maybe he was kind of getting back into his groove on a, on a regular ongoing. Um, and last issue, I mentioned uh, that uh, Batman, he draws Batman with these, these weird snow gloves that had like tatters uh, coming off of the thing um, when, uh, he, when he does this really big portrait of, uh, of Bruce trudging through the snow, again in last issue. Uh, th this week, we're talking about this a little bit on Justice League 2. It seems like all of the DC artists are struggling with how to depict heroes when they go into super cold climbs. Like, they're, they like they have things on them, and you're like, what? why does that guy have that on in the snow? Like, like cold weather should not be a problem for him. But uh, so so last issue, he had him in the snow gloves, and then this issue, he, he does it. They're kind of weird little, like, over gloves that go over... The, the full length forearm gloves it looks like, but in this issue they didn't have like the rags and tatters like he had like like warm weather wraps around his hands last issue. Uh, but at any rate, um, point is is that I, I feel like in this issue Daniel is dialed into his more natural style and it just comes off beautifully. Uh, the issue barely edges out Justice League number ten on art, which was a tough thing for me to say. I'm a huge Francis Manipal fan. And when I saw him just surprise drop in on Justice League, I was like, whoa, great. And uh, and and the most the the work that I remember most that Manipal has done is he uh, subbed in on Detective Comics a few years ago, uh, like a few issues here and there. Uh, and then he used a darker, uh, lower contrast art style. So it was just a much darker color palette. The one he used this week in Justice League was a little brighter. And so I preferred what Tony Daniel was doing in Batman with the darker color palette. Um, and then he, and then Daniel just did really damn fine fight choreography. It felt like King just said, it felt like King just gave him one page in a script and said, have these two fight for the next five pages. Um, Cause it felt like Daniel just kind of got to do what he wanted to do. 
uh, on story. So it's a, it's a really, this is the most, this book, this issue this week makes one of the most interesting creative choices that I've seen. Definitely this week, maybe uh, for all that, I, that I've seen in a while in that KG Beast and Batman fight and they, there, there's, there's no dialogue. There's no commentary between them. Uh, but you do get the grunts, and you do kind of get some, uh, you know, kind of chuffing between the two of them, right? Uh, and it's a really interesting choice. And the, the, when I was reading it, I'm like, ah, man, this feels really off-putting because I'm reading, like, these little goofy, like, sound effects um, in, in between panels. And I'm like, and I, and I, and I was like, well, why, why, don't, why didn't he just make these silent panels? But then I was thinking, but if it's silent panels, like, it isn't as realistic and i know we're talking about realistic in terms of books but if you don't have the grunting it maybe doesn't feel it doesn't convey the visceralness and the the, the fight to the death motif um of this fight and i was like well why the grunts and I, like i said at first it was off with uh but you know but the the, the fight this fight is a fight between arguably two of the best hand-to-hand -hand combatants of the dc universe it's definitely unquestionably a fight to the death um, and, and, and it's definitely big stakes, like something, I mean, it was, it was absolutely appropriate that something happened in this fight that has consequence. Uh, and so at the end of this fight, uh, KGB says Bruce down on the ground. It, it looks like he's going to get the better of him, but Bruce fires the bat grappling hook right up into his chin and snaps his neck. Uh, so he does not, not killing KGBs, but paralyzing him and he's out uh, on the ground. And, and then again, we get what is probably the most iconic, I feel like that whole page was the most iconic Batman page maybe ever written. Um, but KG Beast offers him uh, a, uh, a, a trade and says, look, if you, if you go and get help, I will tell you who hired me. Um, and again, he refers to Nightwing as, as, as Batman's boy, as if he's his son, which it seems like the entire criminal world, as we mentioned last time we talked about Batman, it seems like the entire criminal world is convinced that Nightwing is Batman's son. Whatever. Um, but uh, He is technically. Yeah, well, yeah, right, right, right. Uh, so, uh, but Batman tells him, you know, you know I've, I've got a 300-mile trek, you know, to walk out of here to, to get you help. Um, and, he's, and, then he, and then he goes, I'm the world's greatest detective. <laughs> I'll figure out who hired you. You can get your own damn help. And I'm like, man, that that is like the ultimate Bruce Wayne line. Like him him claiming, him laying claim, you know, because because you feel like most of the time Batman just kind of he doesn't own that title, the world greatest detective. It's just like he knows it's something people say say about him, but it's not what he thinks about himself. Uh so it was awesome mm -hmm. to hear him say it. And it felt so powerful for him to say it about himself, uh, and then just to walk off and leave KGBs there. I thought it was w one of the great conclusions to do a, a story. Uh, and then we closed the story out by then you uh, pulling the camera back. And the whole time I thought, because the, the children's story that's being read is a, a children's story by a Russian author, I thought it was a story of the KGB's father reading him a story. It's actually Thomas Wayne reading Bruce's story. Uh, so oh. I, so yeah, so I, I, sco I scored this issue a 9.0 out of 10, which is incredibly high for me. Very few issues do I, I, I rate that highly. Um, I felt like the creative team earned uh, the ending to the story every step of the way. And I felt like the readership that's been stay that's been on Batman, that has stuck with Batman, because I'm sure lots of people fell off in the run up to the wedding and more fell off after the wedding. Um, if you've stuck with Batman, I feel like this is a big payoff. Um, it's brutal, violent, angry. We also see Bruce's expertise as cunning and kind of that way that Batman has potentially uh, won a fight and mapped it out in his head before his enemy has ever thrown the first punch. Um, it's a new status quo, which is kind of weird after just two issues. And that's the only thing that kind of concerns me. And I'm like, so how long is it going to take him to track down Nightwing's, you know, act, who, whoever contracted the hit out on Nightwing? Are we going to resolve that right away? Are they going to let it linger for a while? Um, I'm actually okay with where we are right now with that marinating for like a, a six issue arc about something else and then coming back to it. Um, it was just really weird that it's a two issue subtitle arc. Um, 
And it also makes me wonder that that Daniel isn't uh, isn't um, isn't staying on it, uh, and it's just uh, has just done these two issues, and then won't be on that you know from here on out. Um, so it's a, it's a, it, like I said, the whole thing is an interesting choice uh, all around, um, and I and I can't say that it won't work. I'm sure some people will go, ah, well, you know, he should have resolved it this issue. Uh, but whatever, you know, neither say I'm in it for the long haul. So, uh, did you read this issue, Stephen? Yeah, I did read it. I did. I pretty, I really did enjoy it this time around. And I did like the last issue as well. And, um, there's one interesting thing I noticed that I did like that, uh, Tom King decided to borrow some influence from the Arrow TV show because, uh, they have KGBs, but he's different. He's like a mob boss. I noticed that. That version of KGB's is a father in that storyline with Tom King. He's a father. He made him as a father of KGB's. That version of KGB's. Wait, in the, in the comic or in the show? No, in the, com- in the comic, he decides to make that the mob version of KGB that's an arrow. He decides to make them as his father in the, in the, to- in the book. Okay. All right. So, yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting that that KGBs is his father in the comic. <laughs> oh, I, I see what you're saying. So in the, on the show, the KGBs that you see is the father that's in the comic. Yeah. yeah. Like he took that version of KGBs as, and turned into his father. Okay. Yeah, because the, the KGBs in Arrow, he's a mob boss. He's not He's not like what's in the comic books. Okay. Right, right. Gotcha. You have a different take on him. Very cool. So, uh, how about Justice League Dark number four? All right, I'll talk about that. <clears throat> Justice League Dark number four was written by James Townsend the fourth, and the um, artist was Alavero Martinez Bueno. And I, I thought this was a really well done issue. I've been liking. The Witching Hour, it's been a very exciting storyline. It's been crossing over with Justice Dark and Wonder Woman. And I really like the mythology that the the witching the witches were are given to the the dark universe of of the Justice League world. And um in this issue there the witches are like controlling a, a specific hero and her name is Monitu Dawn, it's like some Native American hero I never heard of. And I'm not sure she's probably a new character, but <clears throat> she's the witches are like mind controlling her, and they, she's fighting the Justice League Dark. And Wonder Woman has the ability to con- she finds she figures out how to control the the witching the witch power the witching powers that the witches gave her, and is they weren't. They weren't able to mind control her. Like her will was pretty strong, and <clears throat> the Justice League Dark end up escaping, and they left Wonder Woman to fight off the witches. And Zatanna and Constantine end up staying, and <clears throat> they find out that the witches eventually break control Wonder Woman. And actually, at the end of the issue, they get to mind control her. So Zatanna is Constantine has to probably fight Wonder Woman at the next issue. And um, I also found some interesting thing about, because Swamp Thing does try to control what's been going on in the with the witches fighting, and he finds out that Black Orchid is, is being mind-controlled by the witches. And they also did save um, Dead Man and her, I mean, and his... Um, I forgot what's her name, but the person that gave him the powers of that man. So, yeah, they was able to save her and um, get anybody, get all the monks that were living in there and escape whatever the not, not that part bad. That's what it was. Yeah. So I thought this was really done. Very well done issue. And I did like the interactions with the Just League characters, and there's great mythology with with this witching stuff. So yeah, I'll give it a, a eight 
8 out of 10 as well. <clears throat> yeah, that's it. Very cool. So, uh, last two issues in the review segment. Uh, Rivers of London, Action at a Distance, number one. Chapter one, uh, subtitle Chapter One, Secret Weapon, uh, published by Titan Comics. Uh, written by Andrew Cardmel, art by Brian Williamson, colors by Stefani Renee. I'm not familiar with anybody on this uh, creative team. Maybe Brian Williamson, I've seen his stuff before. I'm not absolutely positive. Uh, so the situation is it's really kind of cool. Uh, this is an alternate history comic uh, that spins a tale of wizards that are woven into everyday life in Great Britain. Uh, the military, their military operations flashbacks to World War II, with then later events showcasing the wizarding characters as cops, which again is kind of neat. Uh, main character is a Thomas Nightingale who heads up a spec ops unit that covertly operates from a rather mundane brickfront townhouse uh, in, in London. But inside, he's teaching his protege, Peter Grant, the ropes of being a wizarding cop. Uh, the, the comic opens up with Thomas needing to go away to attend the funeral of an old friend. And when he departs to attend the funeral, uh, he tells Peter to go ahead and uh, uh, take license to go through all of his old records and see uh, and, and review some of the old cases that the two uh, worked together. So Peter begins reading and starts to under, uncover this interesting tale uh, of his uh, teacher. Uh, so the story, so I love this kind of stuff. Uh, you take, I, I love um, things that take fantastic elements and intermix them with uh, al alternative history that's somewhat based on actual events, but is intermixed with these notations of fiction, and then combines it with with mundane but grounded, uh, you know, actual things that occurred uh, with a slight spin. Uh, there's like a there's like a novel series that I read. I don't read it very quickly. Called like the um, uh, the Turbo Rare series, I think, which is which is kind of like uh, this this wild spin of like uh, what if kind of Britain and France had dragons during the Napoleonic Wars. So that kind of stuff like really kind of appeals to me. Um, so it's a great setup that's right in my wheelhouse. Like I said, it's alternative history to complement which complements my love of actual history. Uh, I was a history major in undergrad uh, and mixes it with that fantasy element, but then grounding it in a real world problem. Uh, like I said, I can eat that stuff up all day. So it's a weird mixture in how it gets to me because I have to say that I think that part of the craft in this issue is not overdoing it as far as Cartmel's writing. Um, this uh, concerns a series, this concerns um, uh, the secondary character who who is the one who's in the casket in the funeral. I think the guy's name is uh, Spinell or Spinall, something like that. Uh, and and he, he became a cop after the war uh, and was investigating a former Nazi who had then emigrated to Great Britain and was kind of protected um, by the intelligence services because he was a value. Uh, but this guy was a serial killer. Uh, and, uh, and and the other character was chasing him down. Uh, but but again, in terms of the not overdoing it, right, the, the murder scenes are not uh, overly grotesque in their depiction. Um, but but you have this former Nazi living in a protected status in Great Britain doing evil things. That to me is kind of a great villain setup, uh, the the untouchable villain. Uh, so Cartmel doesn't try to do anything overly fancy. It's just a good old fashioned whodunit murder mystery set in post World War II Britain. Practically writes itself. Uh, it could definitely be screwed up. That setup could definitely be screwed up by someone over embellishing the setup. Uh, Nightingale is an enjoyable character because he's not overly egotistical, which to me would have come off as tropish. He's not Sherlock Holmes. He's not Doctor Strange. He's not this super introverted, you know, Aspergery kind of character. Uh, not even I, when they when I read through the setup, I kind of thought like, oh, this feels like a little bit like Dresden if you've ever read any of the Dresden Files. Um, but uh, but he's not even as arrogant as Dresden is. Uh, so there's a storyline put together with a careful touch, and uh, it's much more procedural homicide than wizarding. Um, and uh, and I, I kind of feel like huh, these guys are doing what Marvel has done with the movies because I feel like the best MCU movies are the ones that are like a solid standard Hollywood storyline, plotline, and then they layer the superhero stuff on top of it. But if you yank the superhero stuff off, like Ant-Man would still be a great heist movie even if you took the superhero stuff off. Winter Soldier would still be a great spy movie if you took all the superhero stuff out. Uh, so like I said, you know, this, they, they kind of follow that template of putting together a solid plot line and then put the superhero or the, in this case, the fantasy stuff on top of it. Uh, on Art Williamson does a fine enough job. Uh, like I said, again, it's really unfair in this week. Um, this was the second book I read. I read it after reading Justice League number 10, which has Francis Manipole on art. And that's just kind of unfair to have to follow that up. Um, 
So this book just kind of comes out in a week where it's an unfortunate luck of the draw when like DC's just similarly seemingly pulled out all the big guns on art in one week. Um, uh, good, good uh, conveyance of like the the horror-y kind of Halloween kind of setup. Um, you can definitely tell that the maid is creepy as all hell um, in in the covert ops mansion. Uh, and and I, and I will say what I, what I really like about Williamson's art is. Um, again, no offense, but in a book full of Caucasian people, you can actually tell who aren't in costumes. You can actually tell everyone apart. Like uh, Nightingale and Straylin uh, are clearly of different heights and builds and have distinctive features. Nightingale has a dash of uh, has, a, has a gray streak in his hair, um, and the murder victim women are all of like different builds and heights. So uh, it's solid work, if not necessarily you know run defining craft. I gave this book a seven point out of ten. Uh, it's a solid action mystery comic that hits upon several notes in genre comics that could wind up appealing to a wide array of fans. You got magic types for your Potter people, uh, mystery lovers, crime comic fans, war buffs. There's a lot to like in here. The book does a good job of hooking you in and making you want to read the next issue to see how the case continues to unfold. It's not super powerful or hard hitting. Um, it doesn't hit you over the head, uh, but it's that solid kind of book that you like kind of in the middle of your stack um, that, that you know you can count on to deliver something consistent in the next issue that you will enjoy. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to read the follow-up issue to this. Uh, I'm actually uh, – so I had a slot open up in my regular polls this week because uh, Millennium, the girl who danced with death, wrapped up with this third issue, which I also read this week. Uh, I am actually going to replace it with uh, Nightwing, uh, and we'll talk about Nightwing a little bit later. So last uh, comic in the review segment is Justice League number 10, subtitled Drown Earth Prelude. Uh, published by DC Comics, story by Scott Snyder, art by the great Francis Manipal. Uh, and when I say art, uh, Manipal does his pencils and does colors. I don't know if he inks it, um, but he but he's doing he's doing the whole thing. Uh, so we open up with uh, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and right off the bat we get Firestorm. And this, this is the thing that I really like that Snyder is doing is he's really yeah. bringing these favorite like Justice League characters who. We may not have seen in a while and squarely getting him in a story. I love it. Firestorm is one of my favorite characters. Uh, he, he was he was at a height in the 80s when I got into comics. Love it. Um, so, and, and again, we get this kind of some weird stuff in the opening. Like, I don't understand why Wonder Woman has snow leggings on um, because they're in the Arctic Circle. I'm like, does Wonder Woman get cold? Like you know, I don't yeah, know. I, Aquaman, Aquaman has like has like furry boots on, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure Arthur Curry should be able to march to the Antarctic without furry boots on. But fine, whatever. Uh, it's a it's a chance to play, and I guess that's what it was for Manipal. So fine. Um, but I, and again, I, like I said, all over DC, DC comic book characters are in wintry scenes, and like they've got like all this extra stuff on. And I'm like, huh? So at any rate, um, again, another thing that I like that Snyder's doing is he's doing the my favorite. Justice League shtick, which is squads. So you get Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Firestorm, which is this weird but really cool mixture. We're getting a lot of Aquaman and Diana, which I think is neat. Um, but then in other scenes, you get uh, Superman, The Flash, and Adam Strange, which is a neat mixture. And then you get um, what to me is kind of one of the classic Justice League Unlimited uh, uh, squads from the cartoon. Um, you get uh, Green Lantern, Jon Stewart, Hawkwoman, and John Jones. Um, so I thought those were some neat kind of setups and trios that you got to see uh, with their own little uh, dynamics. Um, so at any rate, Poseidon is missing, presumed dead, I guess. Maybe they know, maybe they are not sure. Um, something has led them to the Arctic Circle, and they are searching for an ancient lost ship, um, as the which has, you know, lost ship presents a secret to maybe something Poseidon was putting around with or a message he left for them. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, they, so they find this thing. Uh, and it's not what they expected. Along the way, we get shots of, like I said, other Dale squads. Um, so on story, solid story. This is the kind of thing that you expect from a Justice League book. It's a big, world-menacing, dimension-like crossing threat kind of stuff. Because um, the League like shouldn't be worried about things like crooks knocking over banks. Unless it's a villain that's specifically on the rogues list, right? Crooks knocking over banks in Metropolis, that's not a Justice League thing. Gorilla Grodd knocking over a bank in Metropolis, maybe they check that out because they think Grodd's up to something bigger. But at any rate, this is another big epic story right on the heels of the whole Source Wall thing. Um, my, the only thing I ask is, yeah, they shouldn't be concerned about knocking over banks, but we're getting a lot of really big, almost event-level kind of stuff in Justice League, and I just wonder, you know, how many of those arcs do you string together um, before you do something like a personal story um, our character, our more character-driven story. Um, 
so, you know, it's, it's just a heavy lift the way they're approaching it now. They're into their 10th issue on this run of big epic stories. Um, and I, I, so part of me feels like, yeah, maybe you should take a break coming up here soon, um, especially for a book that's double shipping. But at any rate, this is on brand. Uh, I like to focus on the squads, and I feel like this is how you get to the heart of the league, which is all these little tiny relationships, which is I felt like when they did the Justice League movie, I felt like that's what the Justice League movie should have been about, is those little relationships between like pairs and trios of characters, not like the whole big group. But at any rate, um, you know, it, again, it's neat because you see it's almost like a what if or like a uh, or Marvel two-in-one or uh, Marvel team-up is what I'm thinking is where you get like these characters that sometimes you see them together a lot, sometimes you don't. Um, and like I said, we're getting to see a lot of Diana and Arthur. Uh, there's some neat things here with Batman still being in the full body cast. Uh, you know, and, and it's, it's also interesting. So, so that's in continuity with what's going on in Aquaman because it's a Drought Earth tie-in. But of course, in the Bat books, like he's not in a full body cast and it's business as usual. So, but again... This is DC uh, after, like, po the post-rebirth DC giving creative teams license to do, to, to tell great stories and, and giving them license to sometimes be outside of, of concurrent continuity, which I think is fine. Um, so this is all the stuff that Justice League books are made of. Um, now, that being said, this is what they did in the first arc, and those books consistently scored a 7.5 with me. So what is it about this book that lifts it out above the mundane? Because again, an 8.0 for me is like a remarkable book um, that that people should sit up and take notice of. What tips us over the edge is Francis Manipal's art. Now, I think uh, the other artist Ramirez and some of the other artists that have been on, they've done good work, but but Manipal's art is just, it's a, it's a, this is, I mean, this is Frank Quietly level, Alex Ross level stuff. It's, it's something that is beyond the norm and, and I feel needs to be appreciated. I don't even think this is Manipul's best work. <laughs> and like I said, the, the Tony Daniels stuff in Batman number 57, I felt like edged him. But man, this is still like a very special issue. Um, again, he's not using the, the heavier, darker colors, which kind of made it less appealing to me. Um, and I mentioned I felt like the best stuff I read of his was in uh, Detective Comics. This is still great. Panel work is exquisite. There are no two pages in the book that have the same panel layout. Um, and I would hold to that claim because I actually flipped back through to try and test that theory. Uh, and I couldn't find two pages that were exactly the same in panel layout. Um, I love the one that, where he has Arthur waking up out of the darkness uh, after they go to this other dimension with the, the triumvirate of sea lords. Um, and they've knocked Arthur out and he's waking up and it kind of progressively peels back the stages of his consciousness in these horizontal panels, which is just awesome. Um, level of the detail on the pages with the triumvirate is great. If you look at it, it's markedly more, it's markedly greater detail than you see on the other pages. I don't know how many issues they've got Manipal on this book. Um, I don't know that he's a guy who can do like a lengthy run with the style that he does. I think the style that he does takes more time. So it, 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 so you can see, and I think you can see on these pages, he does his like his regular shtick level of detail, but the other pages aren't so much. And I felt like that was him being pressed for time and under a schedule and not able to do it. Um, you know, when he did Detective, everything was super detailed, but he was just dropping in and subbing in for an issue here and there. So I think that to me was the difference. Uh, that might bode well, because I would love to see him on a number of issues for Justice League, but I just don't know... Uh, uh, you know, how long he's going to be on. I scored this book an 8.5 out of 10. Um, it's just beautifully put together. I, and I hope that one day we get to see Snyder and Manipal do kind of a one-shot big story in graphic novel format. I asked him if he and Manipal had done anything like that on Twitter. He mentioned that they had done Justice League No Justice, which is now in graphic novel trade paperback format. So I will go check that out. Um, not quite the same as a full length. I'm thinking something like, like the dark Knight, like one big, you know, 60 something page story. Uh, but fine. I'll, I'll go check this out. Um, I didn't know that they had worked together and done a large body of work. Um, um, it, um, Francis Manipal, they also did, um, the flash, um, uh, with, with Brian Bucciolato. Oh, okay. That's right. And that's the, right. Yeah. the new 52 when they first started. Okay. 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 Yeah, I think he did Dark Side War as well. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So at any rate, this issue to me was a lot of great stuff. Needless to say, this is the kind of issue that makes me love the fact that Justice League is currently in my regular recurring monthly pulls. It's been a long time since I've wanted to 
to have Justice League uh, in, in in that stable. Um, and a long time that a long time since even when I had it in the stable, I really feel like this is the book that kind of anchors the rest of my stack. Uh, so uh, so great, great issue. Did you read this, Stephen? Yeah, I did read this issue. Um, I had to because it was connecting with Aquaman, the John Earth event, and. I did enjoy this issue. I wasn't really expecting Firestorm to be there. I because the last time I saw Firestorm was in like a Legends of Tomorrow miniseries. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I didn't I that was like a year ago and I wasn't expecting to see Firestorm here. And it was pretty cool to see um Adam Strange as well, because as Adam Strange hasn't been used in a while and I didn't think I was gonna see him here. So um yeah, I really like the interactions with the Just League characters, and Francis Manipal's art was beautiful on this book. I did notice the light colors; it was more more light colors than dark. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know, and like when I first saw Firestorm, I was like, "Wait, is this Ronnie or is this the other guy?" And yeah, I'm, I think it's Ronnie and Jason. These views. okay, yeah. Well, it, but the thing is, like, I, I I love the way that Snyder wrote it because, like, it that, like it didn't matter. It's Firestorm, right? Like, he's, he yeah, didn't, he didn't make it. He didn't. He can't really tell if it's supposed to be Ronnie talking or Jason talking. Right, right. So cool beans. So the best thing you read this week, Stephen, was what? It was um cover two number two by Brian Michael Bendis and the artist is David Mack. So this is Bendis's like, like writer owned or writer initiated yeah imprint, this, imprint label under DC. Yes, Jinx World. Yes, yeah, his own. It's like an indie book. I I would consider it as. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm just not sure to consider it as indie if it's on DC. But right. Yeah. Right. It feels so, that way. So what? I mean, so what? What was it about this book that made it the best thing you read this week? It's. I thought it was pretty interesting. I wasn't sure about the first issue, but uh, the second issue really hit me pretty hard because it was, excuse me, it was really um, suspenseful. And you get, it's about some comic book artist that he meets this girl in the comic book convention that loved his art. And the woman decides to uh, bite him to go see the president of Istanbul from Turkey and and what is it um so yeah he goes to Istanbul to meet the president and he she she I mean before they were in a taxi driver I mean taxi when he meets the girl that saw him in the comic convention she um gives him this painting this type of like item that that's he's supposed to give to the president as a gift. And he she was she gave even though she gave him the gift, he's he's supposed to pretend that he gives the gift to the president instead of the, the woman that he met. And <clears throat> they he ends up giving the gift to to the um to the president. And there's also a a story that there's also a, a, a investigation going on that ha- takes place after the um, like it takes place way, way in the future of the story and he's getting he's getting beat up by some guy that's investigating on what was in that item that he that was given to the president and what was that girl that he met in the comic convention and it's pretty interesting story it's like some i don't know it's like some spy story that's going on and i'm trying to it's, it's pretty interesting i'm trying to figure out what's going on in the story and i do like that this is it's something that's not very superhero and i is a different feel to that and i think that's pretty interesting and the art is pretty well done i really like the watercolor and the art all right very cool very cool uh the best thing that i read this week was batman number 57 which we've already talked about talked about in lengthy detail so no need to revisit that uh my honorable mentions uh this week uh so these are my books that i would have rated an 8.0 or above um were uh justice league number 10 
uh, Aquaman number 41 and Nightwing number 51. Um, and obviously Batman number 57 was, was the best thing. So these, these are the books other outside of the best thing that we read this week that we would have also scored uh, very highly. Um, like I said, I, on Aquaman, uh, I, I, I really liked the story that was put together and the interaction between Mira and Bruce. Um, and then on, uh, on Nightwing, um, I really just like overall how that story uh, is coming together. Uh, a good artwork, uh, some great scenes with uh, with Alfred in there, and then uh, you know um, uh, Dick or Rick, <laughs> depending on what you ascribe to, Dick kind of uh, at the end uh, as somebody tries to mug him, um, just kind of instinct taking over and him just uh, completely putting the smack down on the guy, and then that causing Dick to wonder about you know who he should be. Um, he's been trying to kind of go through life and, and slough off. Uh, any sense of responsibility, um, but uh, it looks like that may be changing. And at the end, we have a cop assuming the mantle of Nightwing, which felt a, a little very much uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt at the end of The Dark Knight Returns. Um, so uh, so there we have it. That is a book that I'm going to be adding to my recurring pull list, by the way, from here on out. So thank you very much, Stephen, because the whole reason I read that issue was because it was also in your pull list. Uh, you're yeah. on a... Your honorable mentions this week? It's um, my honorable mentions is is life the life of Captain Marvel number four, Old Man Logan number forty nine, and Mister Mrs. X number four. That's pretty much it. So, how is Mister Mrs. X going? I dropped in and checked out. I think issue number two, which had Deadpool Deadpool in it, um, being that. There is such a, a hatred for Gambit around comic book fans. I, it, it was kind of a very interesting choice to do. It's like people love Rogue; they can't stand Gambit. So I actually you... like Gambit and Rogue. I don't. Okay. I don't know why there's any hate for Gambit. I thought people loved them since uh, the X Men cartoon. Yeah, I think I, I. I don't know. I I think in the movies uh, and and in the comics, he's just come off as such of like so so much kind of a of like a dude bro. Um, that, I don't know. I don't know. So, but, uh, but it's been, I, so last I saw they were out in space. Are they still out Star Trek? Yeah, they're the still universe? on space with Shyar. Okay. And interacting with, um, Professor X's daughter. Okay. All right. Very cool. Uh, so what are you pulling next week, man? As we get ready to wrap up and get out of here. Um, I'm gonna be pulling Moon Knight number 200, which, um, Gonna be reviewing because it's the final issue of the series. Is um, Action Comics one thousand four, Wonder Woman fifty seven, Titans number twenty eight, Spider Geddon number two, and Justice League Odyssey number two. Okay, well you definitely have to let me know how Justice League Odyssey number two goes since I read the first right. issue, but but decided not to read the second one. Uh, I am gonna be pulling the Punisher number three. I will also be reading Wonder Woman number fifty seven. I'm going to read Old Lady Harley number one, which I'm kind of gritting my teeth about because I don't, I, I know you're a fan of them, but I don't, I've never particularly gotten on board with like the old man Logan thing. And then when they did, but I was okay with it when it was just that one. And now they do old man Hawkeye. And now it seems like DC, I, I'm always wondering if this is like a, like a pun or like a chip shot at Marvel with old lady Harley. It probably is a chief shot. Yeah. Shot. <laughs> so I'm kind of not Marvel. looking forward to that one, but but I'll check it out. I'm also going to read Moon Knight number two hundred, uh, and I'm going to read the Century number five because uh, I heard that that has actually been getting uh, better, uh, good, uh, and that the Century maybe is being converted into a character that's not just a thing for you to loathe. Um, from your poll list, uh, I elected that I'm going to read Titans number twenty eight, uh, and I'm going to read Spider Geddon number two. Now, one of the things I, I read this week that I didn't talk about was Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man number 311, which unfor unfortunately is a new creative team following the departure of Chip Zdarsky, uh, which uh, I was very impressed by Zdarsky's work on Spectacular. Uh, this sticking on a book after a creative team transition 50% um, uh, of the time leads to some wailing and gnashing of teeth. I will say, if you're going to do that, the way to do it for me is to give me my favorite Spider-Man villain, which is Morlin, um, 
uh, feaster of spiders of the spider totem or whatever. Uh, so I really enjoyed that issue, but I've never been interested in this whole Spider-Verse, Spider-Geddon, Spider-Man family, like the Bat family, like rendition, like Marvel's version of the Bat family. Uh, but I will do a drop in and check out Spider-Geddon number two just to kind of kick around, um, just to potentially kick that around with you. So anything else that you want to talk about this week in the world of comics? Oh, this, uh, I think that's Sentry. I think Sentry's that century number five is is supposed to be the final issue that series that very wow, got canceled really? quickly. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and that's lot, kind of disappointing. Yeah. Lots of fun. I was getting interested in it. I yeah. don't know. It just didn't sell well. Just when it got good, right? And unfortunately, this is like a, a lot of final issues this week. Uh, Luke Cage number three, uh, and then Moon Knight number 200, uh, unfortunately, yeah. which I'm not really sure what they're going to do with that character. Uh, I would be weird if they would shelve him, uh, but they may be doing uh, in the immediate turnaround reboot like they did with Punisher. Um, so yeah, so it should be an interesting week next week. This week I was very DC heavy, but like I said, DC also killed it. Uh, my own stack next week is probably DC heavy again. Maybe it's it's a little it's a little more balanced. So uh, no, nothing from the indies or the tier two or tier three pubs next week, which is a little interesting for me. Uh, but we'll be back here to kick comics with uh, you, uh, the listeners and viewers out there, as we try to do every week. Uh, thanks so much for anybody who happened to swing by and check in on the live show. Uh, I did not look to see who checked in on the live show because I don't have chat enabled for tonight. So if you have any comments or any feedback for us, uh, just uh, drop them on the YouTube video or uh, shout, give us a shout out on Twitter and ask your questions. Otherwise, on behalf of... Gearworks.com, the E2KG Network podcasting channel, and the Rounding Off Affinity gaming channel on YouTube, and my co-host, Stephen Laura. My name has been Agassicles Stamos. This has been What's Your Issue, episode number three, counting down the comic books that shipped the shipping week of Wednesday, October 17th. We will be back here next week to cover the books that ship October 24th next week. Thanks once again. That's going to do it for us. Until next time, happy hunting and stay safe out there. We're out. All right.